Part 34, I entitled today's message, A Little Bit of Heaven. So as you are turning in your Bibles to, let's dive to Revelation chapter 21. All right, maybe you want to turn there. Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. And for those of you who are just handed a Bible, it's the last book in the Bible. It makes it really easy to find. If you need the page number, it is, uh, let's see, 878. Let me ask you a question. What's heaven like? Do you have any idea what heaven is like? And if I was to ask you and said, all right, so what's heaven like? You start telling me, oh, it's like this and it's like this. All right, can you show me in scripture where that is? Because the probability is the answer is no. No, we have been trained up by Hollywood, by misreading certain scriptures on what heaven is like. Because I'll tell you this, there is strikingly very little about heaven in the Bible. You're like, no, there's not. Come on. There's these huge descriptions like the lion's going to lay down with the lamb and, and then there's going to be uh, this blessings of the, the land's going to go from dry to abundant. And... Are you sure you're talking about heaven? You remember a couple of weeks ago I went through and we began to talk about the millennial kingdom. I think that's what you just read about. Remember, in those exact same passages, it said phrases like people die and people are born. Are we talking about heaven? We might need to readjust what we have read and what we think we're talking about heaven. Because quite frankly, there's little to nothing about the eternal state. Most of it is discussions about the millennial kingdom. You said, Lance, they're the same thing. Stop trying to make one. All right, Ezekiel has this huge vision and he sees a massive city, the holy city of Jerusalem. John sees a big, huge city called the holy city of Jerusalem. They're the same thing. No, they're not. Why? Well, no, no, they look, they look similar. Actually, no, they don't. One has a temple, one doesn't. That's a pretty big difference. As a matter of fact, to a Jew, the temple was everything. One doesn't even have it. The new Jerusalem in Revelation we're about to read, there's specifically no temple. In Ezekiel's vision, there is a temple and it's a big deal. As a matter of fact, in Ezekiel's vision, the Messiah comes just personally and reigns on earth. Whereas in the new Jerusalem, the Godhead full is reigning together on the throne. He starts sorting them back and forth. One has millennial sacrifices, one does not. One says there will be kings ru ruling over the nations and talking about unbelievers. We're not talking about heaven. In heaven, there is no more unbelieving. There's no more sin, no more death. They are drastically two different places. So I ask you again, what is heaven like? There's a few things that we can piece together. There's a few things, but much more, the Bible describes much more about the nature or character of heaven. What is heaven kind of like? What's the point of heaven? We get a lot of that, but we don't get a lot of physical description. As a matter of fact, if you want to talk physical description, we're about to read one of the only passages ever about physical description. And unfortunately, by the end of it, you're going to go, I don't think it looks like that at all. What do we do with this stuff? I have a little list here that was compiled. I grabbed some notes from a theology class I had taken, and I grabbed a little bit of stuff out of Scripture to add to it. 
And I have some notes for you to take. This is what we do know about heaven. So if you're interested in heaven, make sure to take some notes on this. Here we go. Number one, we know God's presence is there, right? We can pretty much guarantee it. It says we will see him face to face. That's the big deal of heaven. I talked about it all last week. Really, the whole reason you want to go to heaven is who's there, not what's there. So it doesn't really matter what's there as long as Jesus is there. As long as our God is there, we're good. So his presence is there. We know there will be worship there. That's very clear in scripture. Worship. Problem is, we don't know what we're talking about when we start describing what worship in heaven is. We seem to open up the Bible and we go, oh, look, they're having a worship service. Everybody's hanging out in one room and they're all singing to God. That's what we'll be doing forever. I completely disagree. I don't think that's biblical at all. You're like, but that's not. Yeah, that's what we have to do. You're supposed to all jam in a room. Everybody's got a seat. You got a little ticket. Don't you can't switch seats because it's heaven. You can't cheat. So you got to go sit in your little seat and then you just sing, 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 sing all eternity long, right? And the whole time God's like, all right, we've done that song. Can we do a different one, right? And the whole time you're just trying to think of new songs to sing. That is not at all what is described in the Bible. Have we seen times of absolute worship and song? Yeah, Revelation's full of them. Why? Because events were happening that they were talking about and singing about. Will more events happen that will make us gather together and sing and worship to God very likely but let's stop limiting what worship means be very careful on that worship means doing something in reaction to something of worthwhile so for example as you were growing up as a teenager and you had posters on your wall you were really into something that someone was doing and people kept going oh you worship that person that's worship Let's talk about other aspects of worship. Whenever you do what you were intended to do, that is worship of God. You go, what? God built you for a reason. He built you for his enjoyment. Are we all clear on that? That's, that's why we're here. When we do what we're supposed to do, that is worship of God. And you go, well, what does that mean? All right. Why did you have kids? All right. Some of you have kids. Why did you have kids? You had kids because you wanted to pour out love and you wanted to enjoy them. That's why you should have had kids. I don't know really why you had kids, but that's why you should have had kids. Now, what does your child have to do to bring you joy? Do you ever get joy from watching your baby sleep? Okay, so the little one's doing nothing. Are we all clear on that? You're looking at the baby and going, oh, she's so cute. Oh, he's so cute, right? It's just laying there. It's not even doing anything. And yet all this joy comes into your heart. Now, do, do you get joy from your children when they play? Yes, you do. As a matter of fact, when my little ones were driving in the car and they start laughing off each other and they start getting into the giggle thing and they're just cracking up in the back seat, Susie and I look at each other and we start laughing because it's funny to hear them laugh. All they're doing is what they were built to do. If you want to know what worship is like, start considering the animal kingdom. What do dogs do when they're not damaged or abused? Have you ever seen puppies when they go at each other? What do they do? They bounce at each other and they try to get the other one to play with them. Then they run off and try to get them to chase. A little cat, what does it do? You have a kitten on the ground and you put something in front of them, they'll start batting at it. Why? It's play. That's worship. 
You're doing what you were designed to do. Now, let me ask you this. What if you had a child that harmed itself? Does that not steal your joy right out of your life? You keep saying, you don't have to do anything to earn my love, but why would you hurt yourself? You can't hurt yourself. It's, it, that's not right. It's not how it's supposed to be. How, what do you think God thinks about us? He's looking down, he said, and you go, what can I do to make you love me more, God? And he said, how about fall asleep? How about laugh? How about play? How about do what I asked you to do? How about just live life and be joyful about it? But when you're out there destroying yourself with sin, hurting other people, hurting yourself, no, that's not bringing me joy. You want to worship me. Do what I built you to do. I believe that's a lot more about heaven than just singing songs. What else do we know about heaven? We know there's no death, no sorrow, no pain, no tears. We know that we will be reunited with loved ones. How do we know that? Well, let's examine the Bible. Just listen to this. You don't have to turn there. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says this. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. That means those who die. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. What do we know about heaven? There's going to be an awful lot of believers there that we haven't seen in a really long time. There's a reuniting between believers that's very significant. What else do we know about heaven? We know we get new bodies. The Bible actually talks much more about how we're going to be equipped to deal in that new world than what the new world's like. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's a big, long discussion about what type of bodies we'll have. Now, remember, we've allowed Hollywood to create these constantly different concepts. But do you understand how familiar it is? It talks about streets and trees and cities all things that we know, he didn't start making clucking sounds and doing weird things like you walk up into heaven and it's this brand new dimension. He immediately started using phrases that you were familiar with. And so he uses familiar phrases about the bodies that we'll have. What kind of bodies will we have? Glorified bodies. And they will be like whose? Jesus. We've seen them already. When Jesus rose from the dead, he came back in a glorified body. What did it look like? Did it look like a ghost, a spirit, an apparition? No, as a matter of fact, he goes, what are you guys doing? Of course, I'm not a ghost. You got any fish? Come here, give me the fish. All right, I'll eat the fish. All right, you want to, hey, look, high five. Check it out. Ghost on high five. All right, are we all clear? I got a body. Thank you. Now, can I do cool stuff? Yeah, watch, you're in a locked room. Poof, ha, I'm here, huh? Okay, now, that's way cooler when you're playing like hide and seek, right? So, no, there's no question you're going to be able to do some different things. The abilities are expanded dramatically, but it's still familiar. We teach a bodily resurrection. Jesus took his body out of the tomb. Do you understand? We know that we will get new bodies. All right, what else do we know? We know there's a lot of tangible and concrete stuff, meaning cities, earth, dirt, stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff you can touch in heaven. What else do we know? We know there's going to be tasks and fulfilling work. How do we know that? A lot of you are all bummed out now. Okay. 
right? I, I think that they'll have a balanced budget, so I'm sure that you'll still have consistent work, so don't worry about it. All right, how do we know that there's going to be tasks to do? Think about all the parables Jesus talked about the talents. Do you remember? He said, you have been faithful with a little bit. Now I'm going to what? Put you in charge of more. What's the point of the reward if there's nothing that you're in charge of and he was just lying? Clearly, he's not lying. He said, what you do here matters because I'm going to put certain things in your charge next. I want you to chew on that for a while. I want you to think about what that means. It means that we will have tasks to do. And you go, that's so, that's so weird. Not really. What did he do with Adam and Eve? Puts them into an amazing place where they were astounded every day. And he said, I want you to do something for me. Well, well, what do you want us to do? Uh, maybe it's too hard. I want you to subdue the whole earth and fill it. Uh, that's a little overwhelming for two, right? But they started on it. And guess what? The point is, God will design us to do what we need to do. But the curse is the whole reason we hate doing stuff. Because it all feels like a waste. I get exhausted. I get burnt out. I don't want to do it anymore. It's boring. None of that occurs in heaven. You have adventure and fulfilling tasks to do. You know we were built for creativity, right? Do you understand that when you fashion something, how many of you work in an occupation where you get to build something? Guys, this is where you start paying attention. Where you can all of a sudden fashion something and you've created an object that is useful. Imagine doing that without growing tired or frustrated, but being able to create. That's what heaven is like. So as you go through and think about heaven, you've got to be thinking about activity, but not tiring activity. What else do we know is in, the, is in heaven? But rest. Why does he have to say there's going to be rest in heaven? He actually said that there was supposed to be rest here. We're just not doing it. Okay, you ready to get slammed as the, uh, what, the non-Sabbath holders that we are? Right? God specifically said, I want you to rest. I didn't ask your opinion about it. I mandated it. Now, how many times since kindergarten have you been forced to take a nap? Right? Doesn't happen a lot. That's in the Bible. You need to rest up. You need to slow down. Why? Because if you don't, you get burned out and you have a negative view on life. Guess what we're doing? All of us. We are working too much and we are not implementing a Sabbath at all. Our fun when we get there onto our Sabbath, if we even have one, we're more exhausted when we get done with our fun than if we wouldn't have had a day off at all. Why? We're running ourselves ragged. Then we get in and go, I need adventure. Then we go get tired again, then go back to work. There's actually no rest there. And you go, well, what kind of rest? Like, what do I got to lay down? What if I'm energetic? Right? I've always had a problem with ADD. What if I don't want to lay down? Why do I got to stay on my mat? Okay, hold on. <laughs> rest doesn't have to be sleep. If you all realize that sometimes you can be sitting back and engaging in conversation and laughing and enjoying yourself and you feel refreshed. All right, that's what we need to be focused on. Why? How do we know that's a biblical concept? Because God mandated partying. Are you clear on that? 
Any Jews in the house? Okay, here's the deal. You had a forced series of parties you had to throw all year long. If you didn't, you got in trouble. You understand? God's very serious about partying, right? He's like, we will have a party now. Okay, why? Because he knows we need it. We're just not capable of slowing down. We're supposed to have lives that are balanced and built on rest, fun, and work. We're supposed to balance those through that they feed on each other. And we are more healthy. We're not doing that. But in heaven, we will. And it means a much more full life. All right, what else do we know? We know that we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. We know that our present sufferings are not compared to the glory that will be revealed. And we know nothing impure will ever get there. That is pretty much all we know about heaven. Give you a fill in the blank on your sheet to close this intro up and we'll dive into scripture. Heaven will be a mixture of the familiar with astonishingly new. Heaven will be a mixture of the familiar with astonishingly new. Let's take a look in Revelation chapter 21. What did we read last time? Well, John said, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. God's going to be with man. No more death, mourning, tears, pain. Everything is becoming new, he said. And what he was excited about it. Now, all of a sudden, the angel goes, come here. You want to see details of the holy city? It's coming down out of heaven. You want to go look at it? Let's go look at it. And they go and get a detailed travel account of what it looks like. Let's read in 21 verse 9 till the end of the chapter, and then we'll tear it apart and see what we have. Here we go. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it was long. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. 
The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and thank you, Lord, for a tour of some things that are heavenly. I just pray, Lord, that we would understand what it is that you're trying to get across to us, that, Lord, we wouldn't make it say more than it means, that we wouldn't make it say less than it means, but we would take it for what you intended. God, open our eyes today that we might understand you more and long to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. John says this, one of the seven angels who had had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, wait, who's that guy? Y'all remember, have you been in this series? Remember when all the plagues were coming down, bowls of wrath were being poured out by God and there were angels doing that and there was turmoil and war and, and disease and all kinds of stuff breaking out on the world as God rained down his judgment. One of those exact same angels, which John clearly recognized. So this shows a great differentiation between the angels. Have you noticed that? Not all angels look the same. It's kind of like, oh, you're studly angel and you're like messenger angel. And no, they're all different. Is God creative in variation? Yeah. And I think it's going to continue through heaven. Wouldn't you agree? All right. So he recognizes this angel. Hey, wait a second. I've seen you before. You were one of those guys that poured out the seven plagues. As a matter of fact, it's the guy who last time had a message that written in Greek is almost identical to what he's about to say, but different content. What does it mean? Last time he said, John, I want to show you the great harlot, the one that God will destroy and took him to go see a what? A city. Now he says what? Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb and shows him a city. It's exactly the same language, the same writing with different content so that they'd be contrast. Harlot, the ones that were against God. Bride of the Lamb, the ones that were with God. We're supposed to immediately see these polar opposites. And so he says, let me show you the bride of the Lamb. That's pretty neat. We've heard that phrase before, right? Who is the bride of Christ? We are. The church then why does he show him a city? Is that the bride of Christ? Is the city symbolic of us? Oh, that's something we're going to wrestle with. Because we didn't know if the harlot was a concept that God was going to destroy that stood opposed to him or a literal city. These are all things we wrestle back and forth with. But take a look. It might be both. Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. That's just for a vantage point to look down on. The exact same thing happened to Ezekiel. He was carried away, put on a high mountain, and he got to see the holy Jerusalem. Old Testament, New Testament. It says what? And he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. He's about to see this amazing city that came down. It shone with the glory of God. All right. 
Does God light things up? Yes, he does. How do we know that? Well, number one, Moses' face. We all remember that story? Moses in the presence of God, then his face glowed and he had to put a little shield over it, right? How else do we know that? When the Israelites traveled during the day, they were led by a pillar of cloud, but at night it looked like a pillar of fire. God glows. Now, can God ever turn himself off? Sure he can, right? How are we ever going to get any sleep, right? No, obviously... He has an ability to shield down, but when you are in the presence of God, there is a glow, a radiance that is coming out. That's what it's talking about right here. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance or radiance was like that of a very precious jewel. The word means shimmering like a jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. All right, pause. You've got to be very careful when it starts describing precious stones in the Bible because you're immediately going to go, oh, I have one of those. No, you don't. Not likely. Because over the thousands of years, the rocks are being renamed and moved around. For example, the Jasper of today is an opaque, cloudy stone. It's not this. So we actually have a different stone. What you need to be thinking of when you hear this description is a diamond. That is the jasper he's referring to. A absolutely clear, see-through diamond. All right, so now, whenever I say jasper, think diamond. So, it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a diamond, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall. Why is there a wall in heaven? Nobody's going to attack. Don't we usually think of walls for security, right? strength security and maybe that's kind of the point why is there a wall very simply put god's trying to show him a city and cities have walls that's it so john's like oh it's a city if he would have just had no walls he's like is that like a township what is that he's like it's a city look see the wall oh okay i get it all right there's there's nothing deep about the wall yet we're going to get to that in a moment it had a great high wall with how many gates 12 gates. Why do you need 12 gates? Because sometimes traffic gets congested and you need to redirect to the northern route, right? Man, there's so many believers here. This is crazy. No, that's not why. Why? There's three on each side, meaning no matter what direction you approach God, there's always room for you to come in. Why is there 12? Because 12 is the number of full and complete. So in other words, it's a full and complete entrance to be with your king. That's the whole point of why there's 12. Then it says what? There was 12 gates with 12 angels at the gates. Who are these guys? Are they bodyguards, bouncers, right? They're sitting at the gate waiting for you to pay to get in. No. What are they doing? Remember, in the ancient world, the city gates were not merely a protective thing. They ended up, remember, it says you need to go see the elders at the city gates. Why are the elders hanging out at the city gates? That was a place of communication and administration. So these guys, for all practical purposes, are guides and men who deliver communication on God's behalf. You would go to meet with them, or the idea is as you're walking out, they are there to assist and help. That's kind of the whole point. They had 12 gates with 12 angels at the gates, and on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. We're familiar with those? 
That's Old Testament stuff. Understand the word for gate is actually gateway, but you can't write on air. So it's going to be talking about the gate. However, these gates were, they were never shut. So they're open and you can still see the gates. So they're above the wall of some sort, meaning above the opening. All right. So we got the 12 tribes of Israel. That's Dan, Naphtali, Judah, right? Reuben, Manasseh, different names of the tribes of Israel are written on all these. When Ezekiel saw it in the millennial kingdom, he knew what gates were named what. He got a chance to see that. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three in the east, three in the north, three in the south, and three in the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. Okay, this is a weird word. The word can either mean horizontal foundations or vertical spacing in the wall. So either you have little sections that are vertical or horizontal. We don't know which one. Now, I prefer because it's the way I was taught and I saw all the pictures. I like the whole stacking of the layers underneath the city, right? I don't know why, but it works in my world. All right. On them were the names of who? The 12 apostles of the Lamb. Old Testament, New Testament, united together, in building and laying the foundation of the city. What are you supposed to think immediately when you hear apostles and foundation? Ephesians 2.20. That the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's making a point. Does it really have to have the literal name on it? Where John's like, hey, look, I'm Sardonyx. That's great, right? Where John's walking through and he can see his little name as one of the apostles written on the foundation. No, what's the point? It's trying to tell you something. This great city, which relates to the church, was built on the foundations of the Old Testament and the New Testament apostles. Are we all clear on this? That's the whole point of what we've got so far. All right. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The way it's constructed and written in Greek is it's a staff that was normally used for measuring that was just over 10 feet tall. A very common thing. He goes out to measure. Why is the angel wasting time measuring the city? Because he's about to make a point. Last time he measured, he measured for what reason? To show that God owned it. This time, he's measuring to show specific dimensions because they're about to tell you something very powerful. So he's got this tall measuring rod. The city was laid out like a square. We're all good with that. As long as it was wide pretty familiar. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. We're not good with stadia. Remember last time I talked about it? We don't know what a stadia is. So we immediately want to know what? So how long is that? That's our first question. Wrong question to answer or ask because the point is not how long it is. All right, Lance, but, but how long is it? Right? We all want to know. It's 1,500 miles. Okay. It's about to tell you that it's as long as it is wide as it is high. 1,500 miles. You clear how big that is? That's really large. All right. You take that distance. It is the distance. If you laid it out on its square mileage, it's New York to London. It's really, really far. All right. Or if you want to take the, the land mass, it's two-thirds of the United States. So everyone's like, oh, that's plenty of room for me. Okay. <laughs> I can have horses. All right. 
That's not the point. The point is not 1,500 miles. What's the point? 12,000 stadia. You're like, I don't get it. What's the number that's important? 12. I don't care what you do with it. Don't mess with the 12. Why? Because the 12 is the important part. He could have literally, if he's talking to a bunch of Americans, he would have said, it's 12,000 miles. You're like, wow, that's big. It's not the point. The point is the 12. 12 means what? Full and complete. There's more than enough room for all the people of God. It's not an exact measurement. The point is 12,000, a multiple of 12. You'll notice that in the next description. Check this out. It was as wide and high as it is long. Oh, uh, wait a second. That's, that's kind of weird, though. We don't have any cities like that. It's wide as it is high as it is long. When the world would it be? What, what, what shape is that? There's two shapes that do that. Anybody clear? What's the first one? A pyramid. Four-sided pyramid. All of it are the same exact sides going all the way up to the top. So a lot of people immediately go pyramid. However, I'm going to tell you there's no way it's a pyramid. Why? What's the other shape? A cube. I'm going to tell you it's a cube. You're going to go, but pyramid looks cool. All right, uh, that's fine. That's not why we need to hang with it. It's a cube. You go, you don't know it's a cube. Yes, I do. And here's why. Because I'm always right. No, that's not true. (laughs) Totally kidding. You ready? I'll prove it. Turn with me to 1 Kings, Old Testament, Old, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 19, page 241. If it's a pyramid, it blows the concept. If it's a cube, it makes the point. Here we go. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 19, page 241, and the Bible's handed to you. This is talking about Solomon. Solomon was about to build the temple. He did it under very specific instructions from God, and he began to design the holy place, and now he arrived at the most precious place in all the temple. Let's take a look at what he said. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 19. He prepared the inner sanctuary. What's the inner sanctuary called? The Holy of Holies. Within the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. That means God's presence would be there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and what? 20 cubits high. What is that? It's a cube. And he overlaid the inside with what? Pure gold. You want to know why the streets of heaven are gold? Because of this reason right here. The high priest walked on gold in the presence of God. Why must the streets of heaven be gold? It's duplicating the exact same thing. Of the Old Testament. He overlaid, he also overlaid the altar of cedar, which by the way, guess what its dimensions are? Cube. Solomon covered the inside of the temple with pure gold and he extended gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary, which was overlaid with gold. And he overlaid the whole interior with gold and he overlaid the gold with gold, the altar, which is also a cube that belonged to the inner sanctuary. All right. So In the Holy of Holies, you have cube, cube, cube. The altar of incense is cubed. The altar of burnt offering outside is cubed. And the Holy of Holies is cubed. That's why the city's cubed. It's very clear tie-in. Why? Because the whole city is the Holy of Holies. 
The whole city is the intensified presence of God unhindered. That which the high priest could not enter, but once a year we live in. And all the streets are paved with gold. Why? Because gold was cheap that year? No. Because it's a duplication of the Holy of Holies. If the priests walked on it, so too will the priesthood of all believers walk upon it. So, now that you see all these meanings, does it have to be gold streets? Not really. Right? Remember we've talked about it before. What if it rains? Gold gets slippery. You're rollerblading. It's a whole bad scene, right? All right. Hopefully it has a little bit of groove to it. All right, here we go. The wall... Oh, we, we went too far. Let me back up. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick. Guess how thick that is? 216 feet. Does it matter? Nope. What's the point? 12 times 12 is 144. If he was talking to Americans, it would have been what? All in feet, but it would have multiple of 12. 12 is the important thing. It has nothing to do with the actual thickness. It means it's completely thick. That's all that it means. By man's measurement that the angel was using. Why did he use man's measurement and not use some weird holy type measurement? Because it's familiar. Hey, John, you ever seen a ruler? Yeah, okay, let's use it. That's it. God's talking and trying to get everybody involved. Now, the wall was made of what? Jasper, what are we supposed to say? Diamond, excellent. The wall was made of diamond. And the city of pure gold is pure as glass. Now, when it's, it keeps saying pure or clear, why does it have to be clear? Because doesn't that seem weird? It doesn't look like gold if it's clear. Well, actually, the gold has to be clear to give one concept. What was the concept? Why is there no sun or moon needed? Because the lamb gives its light, right? What if the lamb goes inside? What if the lamb turns the corner? What if you're blocked by a building? Does it get totally dark every time the lamb's not hanging out by you? Right? Because in the city, the radiance is constantly shining, but not if the walls are blocking him. But if all the walls are transparent, the radiance of the lamb's glory echoes out and is never hindered by anything. In all the city, you are never less lit by God. Does that make sense? That's why they need to be transparent. You go, is that really what heaven's going to be like? No. It's making a point. There's no place in the city of God that the lamb will not shine upon you. That's the point. All right, we keep moving. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Now, he's only going to mention 12. The first foundation was diamond. The second, sapphire, that's sky blue flecked with gold. The third, chalcedony, which is blue-green. The fourth emerald, which we know to be green. The fifth sardonyx is white with red-brown layers. The sixth carnelian, which is ruby red. Chrysolite is gold-colored. Burl is sea green or sea blue. Topaz is greenish gold. Chrysoprase is green. Jacinth is violet blue. And amethyst is purple. Is that beautiful? That's the point. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each made of a single pearl. Okay. Either the wall, remember I told you the wall was 144 cubits thick? You remember that? It can actually also be translated high. It just doesn't work very well. Because you go, I thought the city was a big cube. Why would the walls be like lame walls? Remember, like the wall around the outside, super short, and then the city's really big? Maybe that's the case. 
If that's the case, we now have a single pearl 216 feet high. If it's really the city, we have a pearl that's 1,500 feet high. Or 1,500 miles, I should say. 1,500 miles high. What's the point? That oyster worked a really long time. Do you understand? That poor little guy was like, man, will it ever end? Okay. Why is it a pearl? Well, primarily because pearls were valuable and it's a beautiful sight. That's really why. Now, are there obvious tie-ins? Yeah. Pearls are made from what? Irritation that causes something beautiful. What's the cross? Pretty good tie-in. Yeah. All right. We get it. All right. Moving on. The great street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I didn't see a temple in the city, he said, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Whoa, the what? Why are there nations in heaven? Because God loves diversity and he loves to let people move around and do things together and he loves the idea of creativity. Why are there kings? I thought Jesus was the only king. What did I tell you about the parable of the talents? Because there are tasks to do and people to watch over things. When the kings bring it in, they're bringing in the harvest of the earth because the earth is still fruitful, brand new. We bring it into the king and go, check out, look what you made. It's another way of worship. On no day will its gates ever be shut. There's no denial of man to God, and there will be no night there. Now, does it really mean it's constantly like, gosh, it's hard to sleep around here, right? Kind of the Alaska problem. No. Why does it say there's no night? Because in the ancient world, night meant sorrow, sin, and woe. For example, if you read John's account of when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, it says Satan entered Judas and he went out and it was night, period. Was he really trying to tell you that it was dark and Judas needed a flashlight? No, he was telling you because all sin had taken its toll and he went to betray Jesus. There's no night there. There's no impurity Nothing, it says, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in what? The Lamb's Book of Life. You want to go there? Yeah. All right. If you're going there, remember, the only way you get there is by who? There's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved, which is? Jesus Christ. That's absolutely right. If you do not have a personal relationship with him, you're not going there. We all clear on that? None of us are going there. Heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for forgiven people. Remember that. If you're going there, what you do today matters for there. And I want you to start investing what you have here so that you might set up treasures up there. What does that mean? It means if God gave you an incredible talent and a gift, I want you to start putting it to use for the kingdom of God. That's what I'm telling you. Telling you that if God blessed you with anything, utilize it here to invest for up there. You do not use it here just to do your own thing. Please do what you were built to do. Laugh, rest, be joyful, enjoy other people, work with all your might, balance out, and just do what God built you to do, and you will bring worship.
to the king who loves you so much. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that we might get an inside scoop, Lord, on some things that you find so valuable to your heart. That, Lord, that in heaven we would be within your very intensified presence, that you would live us in us, we would live in you, dwell in you, that you would be our dwelling place. That, Lord, we could run to you, we could laugh with you, we could walk with you. We could see those that have gone on before us, that we would do all the creative, amazing tasks you built us for on your beautiful new creation. God, draw us home in Jesus' name. Amen.